listening to audio from Faith Church, located on the north side of Indianapolis. If you'd like to check out more information about our church and ministry, please visit faithchurchindy.com. Our scripture reading today is from Galatians chapter 5. It's on page 20 in your sermon manual. If you're using the black pew uh, Bible in the church in front of you, not pew Bible, chair Bible, it's on page 1157. Would you stand with me as I read our passage today that Jeff's going to be preaching on? For freedom, Christ has set us free. I'm sorry, Galatians 5, 1 through 6. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Wouldn't it be great if these things came with an instruction manual? Anyone who's ever raised toddlers or been responsible for them can probably uh, resonate with that statement. Uh, I know Amelia and I did when we were young parents and we had uh, three kids, four and under, and that's why we were excited uh, in the 90s at the church we were at to run across guidance, instruction, uh, in fact, even uh, information and books that promised to help us grow kids God's way. It was a a lot of good, wise insight, how how kids need consistency, how they need to know what to expect, uh, how to help them know how to relate to one another and and how to speak to grown-ups. But the implicit promise was kind of, if you do these things, if you follow these rules, you'll get the right results. And the more we started looking at this material, we thought, yeah, there's good stuff here, but, uh, you know, things like... Anything other than first-time obedience is disobedience. kind of jumped out at us. And and it made me think, how often do I obey God the first time He tells me to do something? And the other thing we noticed is that it it sort of set up a division, in a sense. It became a way of sort of measuring yourself against other parents and other kids. Well, look at how good my kids are obeying. Obviously, I'm growing them God's way. And how come my kids are the ones shoving crayons up their nose or shoving kids up other, shoving crayons up other kids' noses? It, you know, the more we thought about it, we realized there was some wisdom in those things, but it could also be a little dangerous. Maybe you can relate, not perhaps raising kids, but all kinds of things. Every couple of years, it seems, there's another fad or an idea or philosophy that comes out that promises you can have life and freedom and everything that you desire if you follow these three steps or these five habits of highly effective people. And a lot of those things have some good advice in them. The, the problem becomes when, uh, 
the promise is, you know, if you just follow the rules, if you just live up to the standard, you can declutter your home, you can have the person of your dreams, you can have the life you always wanted, you can make life work, right? And whether it succeeds or fails, the problem is that putting yourself under those things as a kind of law, as a kind of measure of goodness, whether it succeeds or fails, always leads to stress and worry and frustration and burden, which is kind of what Paul's getting at in the beginning of Galatians chapter 5. If you haven't already, go ahead and turn in your Bibles. It's on page 1157 of those black Bibles in front of you or on page 20 of your Galatians scripture journal if you have one. And Paul begins in verse 1. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not again submit to a yoke of slavery. Again, what Paul is saying here, our, our state before Christ, outside of Christ, is slavery, and Christ is the liberator. Christ has come to free us. And in the book of Galatians, this Christian life of freedom is primarily about freedom of conscience, freedom from the tyranny of the law, freedom from the guilt and the shame of not living up to what God commands us to, freedom of acceptance with God, freedom of access to God through Christ. And Paul is picturing the law as kind of a yoke, uh, like an ox being weighed down under a heavy burden. And, and Paul is saying, don't let yourself be burdened in that way again. Don't put yourself again under this impossible weight that you cannot carry and that Jesus has come to free you from. At one point, God's people were weighed down under the burden of laws that were good, but that they could not live up to themselves. And Christ has come to free us from that by his perfect life, by his substitutionary death, by his resurrection victory. He has freed us to stand upright. So, Paul says, how could we then go back and, and take that yoke on us, take that burden on ourselves? That's Paul's point. Christianity is not a life of burden and obligation, but one of freedom and life and joy. Confidence that because we are Christ's, we are God's children. But that only comes through Jesus. And, and that's really the idea that Paul is getting at in this passage. That only faith in Christ frees us to live. Only faith in Christ really frees us to live. So let's dig into this. Paul then turns to this specific issue of circumcision. The Jewish believers are apparently telling the Gentile believers that they have to take on the Old Testament law to be children of God. And it's not so much the issue of circumcision itself because it's a relatively minor surgical procedure. I mean, easy enough for me to say right? Easy enough maybe for Isaac to say, having been circumcised at eight, but you know, if you're Ishmael and you're 14 and it's on the horizon, maybe you have a different perspective. No, it's not so much the, the procedure. The real issue is the implications because it was an outward marker of being God's people. It was a physical reminder 
of being in covenant relationship with God that also brought with it all the obligations of God's law. Which is one thing if you were an Old Testament believer, but Paul says now that Christ has come, why would you go back to that? Why would you take on yourself that symbol and that burden? Because look at what that means. He says, starting in verse 2, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. you I, I testify again to everyone that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit or of no advantage to you. You'll be obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You've fallen away from grace. That's the first thing Paul is saying here. Only faith in Christ declares us to be righteous. Only faith in Christ declares us righteous. You can almost see in this verse Paul kind of standing up and filling his lungs with air with this statement of apostolic authority and assertion. I, Paul, say to you, he's saying, listen, pay attention. This is important. He, he takes a deep breath and says, this is the whole point I'm getting at. Now, it's possible that some of these Gentile believers in Jesus had already taken on some of the Jewish law. Maybe from earlier chapters, they were already observing days and seasons. Maybe they were keeping kosher food laws. And Paul is saying, under no circumstances, take that final step. Under no circumstances, let yourselves be circumcised. And, and he draws out these warnings. Christ will be of no advantage to you. No benefit. He will be of no good to you. It's either law-keeping righteousness or it's Christ. It can't be both. There's an unbridgeable gap, Paul is saying, between finding your righteousness in what you're doing, in how you're obeying, and what Christ has done. And why? Because you will be obligated to keep the whole law, he says in verse 3. Anyone who receives circumcision is obligated to do everything that the law commands. And Paul knows this better than anyone because he was a law-observant Jewish follower. He knows everything that is going to come with circumcision. And so the implication is these teachers were maybe playing off circumcision, you just need to be circumcised and, and eat kosher and follow the Jewish holidays. That's really all God is asking of you. But Paul says, no, no, you don't get it. If you head down the path of saying, I'm going to know that I'm right with God because of what I'm doing, you're going to be obligated to be right with God in everything that you're doing. It's not just circumcision. It's everything that comes with it. And, and if you head down that path, you will end up neither a Torah-observant Jew nor a genuine Messiah-faithful person. You'll be destroyed. You'll be severed from Christ, he goes on to say. One commentator puts it this way, circumcision is the seal, the symbol of the law. 
and whoever willingly undergoes it enters into a compact to fulfill all of it and therefore cannot rely on the grace of Christ. He has entered into a whole other mode of justification. If you're going to find your righteousness in what you are doing, in how you're performing, you've divorced yourself from Jesus. And you've fallen away from grace. Because if you've done that, you're seeking to be justified, you're seeking to be identified by what you have done and not what Jesus has done. You're choosing law, you're choosing self-righteousness instead of Christ-righteousness. I'm going to know that I'm right by what I do, what I don't do, by what I believe, by what I accept, by what I oppose. To add anything, Paul says, is to lose Christ. You can't have it both ways, Paul says. You, you can't receive Christ, who is telling you you can't do anything to save yourself, and then also want to contribute something to it, to add something. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Only faith in Christ declares us righteous. Another way to put it is, only faith in Christ frees us from self-righteousness. Some of you may have seen the movie Forrest Gump. Uh, not necessarily saying you should watch it, but it was certainly very popular. Forrest uh, grows up as not a smart boy, and he has some mental and physical challenges, and this other Young girl, Jenny, becomes his friend in kindergarten, and they remain friends their whole lives, even though they, their lives go down very different paths. At one point, they catch up with each other after Forrest has been serving in Vietnam, and Jenny has gotten off into an alternate lifestyle as a hippie. And at one point, Jenny and her boyfriend are at a party, and Wesley, her boyfriend, gets angry and hits her. And the next day, he, you know, he looks, he's sort of looking down, and he's a little embarrassed, and he says, you know, things got out of hand last night. It, it's just this war and that liar Johnson. You know I would never hurt you. Do you see what he's saying there? I have the right ideas about politics or sociology or the government or the military, and that makes up for being angry and violent and abusive. That's what Paul's getting at. The, the, the outward markers of our own rightness is what allows us to justify all the other mess in our lives. I'm, a, I'm on the good, I'm one of the good guys. So then all the other stuff, all the other mess is fine. It's covered up because I've got the right beliefs or I do the right things or I don't do the bad things. And Paul says, it is a trap. You have to have all the right things put trust in having any of the right things in your life. It's either your rightness or the righteousness of Jesus. We tell ourselves, you know, those people aren't righteous like I am. They, they vote differently. They live differently. They believe differently. That you know, They don't have the right understanding of this thing. They don't care about the things that I care about. If you disagree with me about this thing, then, you know, I'm not even really sure you could be a Christian and there is a danger, I think, honestly, a growing danger in some segments of Christianity that wants to make everything a first-order issue of our faith. 
to make everything central to our faith. And if you disagree about some, what really is secondary or third level thing, you, you can't really be a follower of Jesus. And Paul is saying, look, if you head down the road of looking for confidence, security, identity, acceptance, rightness in what you believe, what you reject, what you accept, what you condemn, it will never end. There will always be another law to keep, another standard to live up to, another expectation, another battle to fight, and the circle of people who measure up to the standard will keep shrinking and shrinking and shrinking until you're the only one in the circle. And it will be you and your rightness. Outward markers of faith, outward markers of righteousness, of godliness are a yoke of slavery, Paul says. You think you're yoking yourself to something good, maybe even something moral and true that maybe even the Bible affirms, but it becomes a weight that will crush you when it becomes the source of your rightness before God. You know, you've heard the saying, you, you can't be a little bit pregnant. Paul is saying you can't be a little bit righteous. It's all or nothing. If you're going to head down the path of trying to be righteous, you've got to take the whole thing on. Or you rest in Jesus' righteousness. And He is your rightness. Jesus is the reason that circumcision was given to God's people in the first place. Because circumcision couldn't do anything to deal with our problem of sin and being alienated from God. It was about defining a people through whom the Messiah would come who would be able to deal with our alienation from God and our brokenness. And once Jesus has come, the, the need to point forward to him through that marker is gone. Why, why would we go back to it? Because what Jesus has done is reconcile sinners to God, take away the condemnation that our sin deserves, and to free us from slavery to self-righteousness by His righteous life, His substitutionary death, His victorious resurrection. We're free because Christ has set us free. He set us free in His righteousness. And then secondly, only faith in Christ gives us hope to the end. Did you catch that in, in the next couple of verses? Uh, first of all, in verses 5 and 6, there's a shift of pronouns. Paul is warning these people about, here's what happens if you head down that road. But, he says, we, here's what's true of we who trust in Christ. Through the Spirit, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. That, that word there, eagerly await, denotes kind of an, an expectation to the end. It's looking forward to, to the very end, to, uh, to what theologians call the eschatological culmination, which basically means at the end what God's going to do through Jesus. That's what Paul is getting at here. And what we're looking forward to is the hope of righteousness. What that means is it's, it's a, it's a Jesus-shaped, spirit-driven hope that at the end of all things, God will raise his people from the dead and 
by the power of the Spirit, bring him to himself, and that will be the demonstration that all along we have been his true covenant people. That is our hope, that we do not know what we will be, but we know that when we see him, we will be like him. That is our hope. And when God raises his people from the dead into that new, renewed, eternal recreation, that will be the eventual vindication of the hope that we have placed in Christ by faith. That one day faith will be sight and we will be as righteous as God has declared us to be in Christ now. Oh, we need that hope when, when we look at ourselves or when we look at others and, and see how far short we fall. <laughs> you know, I can look back as a dad and see plenty of instances where I thought I was following the rules and growing kids God's way, but it, it really just fueled my self-righteousness. Why don't you obey like I tell you to? And it's hard to confront those things in ourselves, isn't it? When God's Spirit graciously brings God's Word to our hearts and we can lament over how far short we fall of the grace of Christ. And that's the hard part of walking by faith. Because at any time in my life, at any given moment, a snapshot of what I'm thinking or doing does not necessarily reflect what I actually believe and want. I can easily see at any moment whether I am like Christ, but I can't very easily see at any moment whether I am in Christ, right? Because that is something we cling to by faith. My behavior at any moment may show me how much I look like Jesus, but it doesn't really tell me how much I really am in Jesus. And that's why this hope is so important. Because the reality on even the most generous and gentle and kind inspection of my thoughts and words and actions is that I don't measure up. And that can lead to discouragement. What a bad job I'm doing. What a, what a sorry excuse for a Christian I am. What makes me think that I will ever please God, that I will ever measure up, that I will ever make it? And you see Paul saying, that's the point. That's what Jesus has come to free you from. That's exactly where Jesus does not want you to look for your hope. Not to yourself, but to him. The hope of righteousness is not the hope of your righteousness. It's the hope of Jesus' righteousness. It's the hope of what Christ has done. Settle in your mind now that you will never measure up to God's standards. Oh, that is so hard for our flesh to accept. But I want to. I want to be good enough. I should be able to perform. But I can't. And yes, of course, Jesus helps me to get better. Jesus helps me to be transformed. Jesus helps me to change. But I have to settle in my head, I will never, ever, ever measure up to God's righteousness. And that's what actually gives me hope. 
Only Jesus is whole and sinless. And Jesus came to save broken and sinful people and to give them real hope. Hope not in themselves, but hope in Jesus. So when you fall and fail, it's not evidence that you've let God down. It's not proof that he's frustrated or disappointed with you or that he's going to wash his hands and walk away from you. It's evidence that you are an imperfect sinner with a perfect Savior and a better hope than your own righteousness. By faith, we hope, we wait in the promise of Jesus' righteousness, that the faith that we have placed in him will one day be vindicated. It's, it's the future expectation that our hope is grounded in. So not being righteous now doesn't diminish my hope because my hope is not in my righteousness. Praise Jesus. In Christ, nothing, nothing can improve my standing with God. And nothing can diminish it. Because my standing with God is in Jesus. And the whole weight of this verse is, is on those two phrases. You see, through the Spirit, by faith. Because that's what distinguishes Christian hope from every other hope. Through the Spirit is a reminder that it's the Spirit of Christ who comes to live in us. And it's a contrast, of course, with the flesh, with hope in our obedience and our righteousness. And it's by faith, which, of course, is a contrast to keeping in step with the law and measuring up. Our ultimate hope is not in law-keeping, in our power. That is the yoke of slavery that Christ has come to free us from. The Holy Spirit in you is the one who encourages you and reminds you that you belong to Jesus and one day He will complete the work that He has begun in you. And it's by faith that we hope because we don't see it now. We're not there yet. And Paul wants to encourage us to keep walking in that hope and keep living in it. The righteousness that Jesus has declared over us and that we claim by faith one day will be a reality. But that doesn't mean we live in any way at all. Because the grace of God is not a license to please our flesh. No, just the opposite. Only faith in Christ empowers us to love. It's only faith in Christ that actually empowers us to love the way that God has created us to. Look in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The count for anything is a word in the Greek that means to be strong, to be a force, to, to avail, to be able. Saying that what matters is the power, the ability, the strength to to carry God's people forward to the final goal. And the only thing that does that is not anything about us, but what God has done for us. I mean, there's a nice little double meaning here because it, it also, the word has this abstract sense of what counts or what's valid in this argument or this case. And, and in Messiah Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, measuring up to whatever law or standard, literally has any power. 
has any validity, has any strength. What matters, what matters is what the Messiah Jesus himself displayed, faith working itself out through love. A faith that saves is a faith that works. It's a faith that we have received because of Jesus' own faithfulness that is now worked out through us. When we trust Jesus to provide for us, we're free to give to others instead of needing to take all the time. When we trust Jesus to protect us, we're free to take risks in serving others. Resting in God's grace makes us graceful towards others. You see, that's what Paul's getting at, that that no law can contain, no law can describe, no, no law can demand or produce. A faith that justifies expresses itself through love towards others. The Christian ex- existence, as one commentator says, is characterized by expressing itself through love faith. That's the kind of faith it is. It's a expressing itself through love kind of faith. Faith operates through love because the faith, which is the means of justification, also at the same time receives the Spirit who produces this new life of love because that is who God is. That's what he is like. Theologians talk about the indicatives and the imperatives of the Christian faith. The indicatives are what is true and the imperatives are what to do. And you'll notice this pattern in in many of Paul's letters. Here is what is true about who you are in Christ Jesus and what he's done for you. And now because of that, live out of that truth. Live out of that reality. As you have been loved, because you are loved, so therefore live the kind of love that Christ has given you. Because the gift of justification and life in God's Spirit leads to a life of love, a transformed life. And if that's what we know about Jesus, if that's who we are, because that's what God has done for us in Christ, then those who are in Jesus are marked out in this present time by that same kind of life, by the same kind of love that Jesus demonstrates. You you can tell the Messiah's people because they reflect his life in their lives. They are little Christs. That's what Christians are. We are models of what Jesus is like. We are faith through love people just like Jesus. And yes, there's, there's a, a wider love that radiates out through mission to the world, but what Paul is really dealing with, remember, here in this letter to the Galatians is fostering a love that will replace the divisions and the factions and the envy and the anger and the self-righteous judgment and all the cultural envy and jealousy that's going on in that church. So that freed from self-righteousness, See, we become people now who can serve one another in love because neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters in Christ Jesus. Nothing outward, nothing that defines us, nothing that's secondary to how we individually choose to live out our faith becomes a matter for us to divide or judge or condemn or put ourselves over or under one another. 
It's faith working itself out through love, faith in Christ that is expressed in love for one another across all those differences. And we could spend hours talking about all the ways that faith works itself out through love. That's, that's not really the goal of Paul here. Freedom in Christ expresses itself through self-giving love to others. That's what Paul is getting at. You don't do these good things that God has prepared in advance for us to do in order to be identified as a good person. Your faith works through love because your heart has been set free. Because only Jesus can do that. We assume the best about one another. We ask questions before passing judgment. We grow to respond less out of fear or anger because perfect love casts out fear. And as we're being perfected in Jesus' love, we fear less and we love more. And that means we extend grace more. And we look for ways to love and serve and bless the people that we differ from, that we maybe even disagree with, because that's what Jesus is like. I mean, that's really what all this is about, right? It's all because of the faithfulness of Jesus. His faithfulness working itself out in love. And maybe you hear an echo there, back to chapter 2, where Paul talks about the life I live, I live in, by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And we talked when we looked at that passage about how that can be read in a couple of ways. It, the way it comes across to us, it can also be read as, I live by the faithfulness of the Son of God. It's the faithfulness of the Son of God that is the ground for our faith in him and our response to him. Christian faith is not being a good person, it's Christ. It's putting our faith and our hope in him. And yes, as we know him, he does actually change us and, and he transforms us so that now we become the living itself out in love kind of people. That's the kind of faith we have. Because our acceptance with God, we know, is not about what we're doing, about what we believe or what doctrines we hold or how right we are in this particular issue. It's about Jesus' obedience and Jesus' righteousness that is credited to us as a free gift, a gift of grace that we extend to others. The love of Christ received by faith doesn't just free us individually. It makes us a unique kind of community of people who come from all different backgrounds and have all different opinions about all different kinds of things. But it's the love that God has shed abroad in our heart that glues together this family of Jesus followers. Because what saves us is not our Christ-likeness, but our being in Christ. That's our hope. What saves us is not being like Christ, but being in Christ. And if that's true for us, it's true for everyone that claims Jesus in the same way. And that leads us to show the love and the grace that we have received to them too. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for the freedom that Christ has brought to us to free us from all our attempts at self-righteousness, self-justification, to free us from the burden of the law that we cannot carry. Oh, Father, help us to see the ways that our flesh wants to justify itself. How much we love to be right and look at our rightness and our wisdom and our goodness as a measure of how closer we are, how better we are. Thank you that Jesus, Jesus and faith in him alone is what sets us free and makes us right and gives us hope. Help us to live in that faith, in that hope, with the love of Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.